If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, and if you don't have a Bible with you, that's all right. We, you can read along uh, on the screens with us this morning. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29, as we continue our series called None Like Him. So we're looking at the life of Jesus in the book of Mark in our New Testament, which is uh, very much a biography or documentary-style historical account of Jesus' life and all the things that he did in his uh, three-year ministry here on this earth. And so uh, I'm excited to continue this series. We're kind of over the halfway point. Last week, Easter was kind of our halfway point in the series, and so we have uh, lots of good stuff looking forward to the second half of the book of Mark, beginning today in Mark 9. Well, let me pray uh, that the Lord would bless his word, and then we'll dig in. Lord, thank you for your word, and we pray now that your Holy Spirit would speak it into our hearts and that you would truly transform our thinking, transform our behavior, most of all, Lord, transform who we are, transform our hearts through your word. It's in your name we pray, amen. You know, it's very obvious that we live in a broken world. And so what I mean is you can look around, you know, you can turn on the news, you can look in your own personal life, and the reality is there is suffering. There's suffering all over the world in different capacities. There's suffering that we have all experienced in our own lives in some form, whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual. There are so many ways and difficulties in life and challenges that we're going to experience in varying degrees, right? So some matters are smaller than others in ways, right? You know, if you uh, have a particular issue in your life that, that happens and, and you look at it and you say, you know what, I think this is fine, it's not that big of a deal, and it doesn't disturb you that much. But then there are other moments. There are other moments where you get a phone call or you sit in the consulting room with your physician or you listen to your spouse say something that you never thought they would say. There are some moments in life where you realize that this is something too big for me to bear. This is something too great for me to handle on my own. Today, we're looking at a great example of one of those moments. We're looking at the reality of evil in this world presenting a problem too big for anyone to handle in this story except for one person. So what I want us to do today, a little differently, I, I want to read the whole story in its entirety. You know, usually I'll kind of walk through it verse by verse. Let's read the whole thing because you really have to see how it ends to understand and dissect the content. So Mark chapter nine, you can read along on the screens with me or just in your Bible, uh, verses 14 through 29. Verse 14, and when they came to the disciples, now who is they? Well, stop right there real quick. Jesus, Peter, James, and John had been on a nearby mountain together, and so now they're coming down. So the other nine disciples were with them, or not with them. So Jesus and Peter, James, and John now are coming back to where the other nine disciples were. So there's the context for you. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, 
what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the, spirits, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciple asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, when we read this story, we see here, it has a joyful ending. And I wanted you to see the joyful ending here before we really talk about the details. But this story shows us that because of the reality of evil and sin in this world, this world is very broken. And so sometimes that brokenness enters our lives in very tragic ways. Now, I want to be clear, some of the problems and challenges we experience in our life are self-inflicted. So sometimes we make really poor decisions and we turn away from God, we turn away from his design for our lives, and we sin against him, right? We rebel against him, and so we bring all types of relational problems, psychological problems on ourselves because we're living outside of the will of God. We're living outside of the, his design for our lives. And so, of course, that's going to lead to problems and, and tension and friction between us and God and us and other people. But sometimes, sometimes our challenges in life come from external factors that are completely out of our control. And that's the case that we see in this story today. The suffering of this boy is hard to look at. 
you could say this is hard to watch. Because you can only imagine the physical torment that this poor child has been going through for these years. The father says from childhood, but the text still calls him a boy. So maybe he's a teenage boy at this point. Maybe this started when he was a younger boy, five, six years old. We're not sure. But what we know is that for years now, this father, this dad who loves his son has had to watch him suffer physically and there's psychological torment. You can only imagine what the poor child is going through with this demon that possesses him. You can also only imagine what the father and other family members are going through as they are dealing with this. After years of watching your own son suffer in this way, this dad has to be weary. I mean, just imagine the emotional toll it has probably taken on him for caring for his son since childhood, as he said, constantly dealing with this demon's intent to try to kill, kill his helpless son. Because notice what he said, sometimes it tries to destroy him by casting him into fire and casting him into water. So really, seriously, how many times do you think maybe this dad had to literally jump in a fire to rescue his son and pull him out and put the flames out on his clothes. How many times did this father had to jump in a nearby river or pond to save his son from drowning? Holding him in his arms, crying with him, hoping for some kind of deliverance again and again and again, year after year after year. I want you to feel the weight of this story because this is a problem that is truly too great for this father to bear. You know, we're all gonna face some kind of tragedy in our lives at some point. Listen, I'm not trying to spook you and I'm not trying to be some doomsday or, or you know, cast this dark cloud over you. That's not at all. But the reality is because of the broken world we live in, because sin has placed a curse of evil on this material world called planet Earth, and because our hearts are intently and innately wicked and evil apart from salvation in Christ, this world is going to have all forms of suffering. Again, some self-inflicted, some inflicted by others and the evil intent of others. But we will all face tragedy at some point in our lives. Many of you have gone through it already. Some of you may be in it now. And some of you, maybe you just haven't got to that life stage yet or a particular season where you haven't really experienced a great tragedy, but it will come. And so we can either ho-hum our way through life as Christians just thinking that, oh, I don't want to think about that, or we can face the reality and be prepared. And so what I want to encourage you with today is that when we face a problem too great to bear, you really have two options. We have two choices. When we are faced with a challenge in life like this father and his poor son who they just can't deal with this on their own. There is truly nowhere to turn for an answer. When that problem comes into your life, how will you respond? And that's the two options I think we see in this story. 
So the first option is doubt. And what I mean by that is when we really doubt the Lord, his goodness, his power, his intention and love for us, when faced with a tragedy in our own lives, then here's what we'll do. We'll try to handle it our own way without really seeking him. So we really want to be in control, right? Because when you're faced with a tragedy, right? When you get a phone call that one of your loved ones has a disease or perhaps you've lost someone that you love or perhaps your marriage, there's this great problem. And so in that moment, it's natural for us to want to grab the reins and take control. And the first thing we do is usually try to come up with a game plan in our own heads before we actually turn to God and seek him through prayer. But that's ultimately rooted in doubt that we, that God doesn't know what he's doing, at least not as good as us, right? That maybe we could come up with the best plan and then ask God to tag along with our plan and how to deal with this. So doubt is trying to handle it on your own without seeking the Lord. So that's exactly what we see here. It's unbelief in many ways. You know, most of the time, as soon as tragedy of some kind, great or small, enters our lives, right, we have this natural inclination to not trust that God's going to handle it. And so most of the time, doubt or unbelief is our go-to mindset. And we see that in the disciples in this story. You see, the disciples, had they had already been given authority back in Mark chapter 6 to cast out demons, so they probably approached this situation thinking, oh man, we got this, right? We've already had success in this area, so we can handle this. So as we find out later in verse 29 here, Jesus reminds them that communion with him, his presence, seeking him through prayer specifically, he says, is where your strength will come from, guys. So the disciples they fail here exactly because they neglected to truly seek the Lord about this. They didn't rely on Jesus' strength. They relied on their own past achievements and their own past strength and abilities. But notice what that led to in the story. When Peter, James, and John, and Jesus come down from the mountain and they see the other nine disciples right in the town arguing with the people and the scribes, here's what we see. Guess what? When you try to take matters in your, into your own hands without seeking the Lord first, that's just going to lead to more confusion. Everybody's arguing because nobody has an answer. They all think they have an answer, but no one's really seeking the one who has the answer. And so this is what you see. It's argument. It's uh, more confusion, disagreement on how to handle the situation. The burdens of living in a broken world can be very taxing on us. So consequences in the natural world are very clear. Like we see in this story, we see the physical torment. We see emotional, spiritual torment. We experience that in our own lives as well, right? Our bodies are not made to last forever. And so, you know, sometimes we realize that we, we get a better picture of that than others, that our bodies are decaying. Our bodies are not going to last forever. They're aging. And so we have more and more physical problems. Spiritual consequences come as well. 
our own sin that leads to relational strife and turmoil, or perhaps the abuse and oppression inflicted on some by others. So, so each of us encounters this brokenness in some way, and many times the weight of our problems drives us to unbelief or doubt in God's goodness. His concern for our well-being, his control over our lives. We doubt that he really cares. And so at the root of the disciples' failure is not because they didn't have the right tips and tricks. It's because ultimately their hearts are unbelieving. They're not seeking the Lord for an answer. So while we may have overall true belief, true faith in Jesus, you may have a relationship with him, there's still going to be some areas of your life where you're not believing, where doubt and unbelief is your true state of mind at the moment. And so where is that right now? Like where in your life right now is there an area, a particular situation where you know that you're not believing? There's great doubt and there's unbelief in your heart. And how are you dealing with that? Well, the second option we have, instead of doubting and taking matters into our own hands as the disciples tried to do, is belief. Trusting that God will handle it according to his good purposes. You know, here's what we know about God. We know that God is all-knowing. So God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's also omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. His presence is everywhere. So just think about some of these attributes of God. God is infinitely wise, infinitely loving, and infinitely good, infinitely powerful. And so he knows all things. But here's the deal. Compared to God, if he knows all things and the ceiling, all right, is his knowledge, where's our knowledge? I mean, we gotta, I would have to walk down here and start digging a hole. You know what I mean? Like, it's so far beneath what God knows. And that's okay. We don't have to know everything God knows. We shouldn't and we can't. He's God and we're not. But the issue is the gap between our knowledge of what we know and what God actually knows, we have to fill that gap with something. And so you can choose to either fill that gap with doubt and distrust and worry and fear and anxiety, or you can fill that gap with belief and trust that the Lord does know what's best. You know, Part of believing includes three things that I want to share with you. Three particular things I think we need to do and we see in this story if we're really going to have a heart of belief when we're faced with some kind of challenge or tragedy in our lives. The first one is this, confess your doubt. Confess your doubt to the Lord. The famous pastor Dwight L. Moody talked about three kinds of faith that we all may experience in our lives. So he uses the analogy of a boat, all right? And so if the boat, if you're inside the boat, that represents that you are truly resting, you're resting in the goodness and sovereignty of God, 
your heart in that moment of your life is truly having faith, you're truly believing that the Lord is handling situations and orchestrating events for your good and his glory. So some seasons of life, we're in the boat and we feel the comfort of that. But a second kind of faith, Moody says, is that you're in the water clinging on to the side of the boat. And so maybe whatever situation you're in has rocked you a little bit, has shaken you up a little bit, but you still know God's in control and you're just dealing with the natural doubts that come your way. So you're kind of clinging on to the side of the boat. You're afloat, right? You have something to hold on to. But I think a third kind of faith that we often find ourselves in is in the water by ourselves with nothing to hold on to, just treading water. And so in other words, in that moment, your heart is more filled with unbelief and doubt than it is trust and faith. I believe a believer can go back and forth between those different positions. I don't want to preach this morning and you leave here thinking that I'm saying that, oh, no matter what comes into your life, you should always be in the boat. That you're always going to just have this perfect faith and and just say, oh, God's got this and I don't have to worry. No, that's not reality because your heart is broken. Our minds are broken. We are broken people living in a broken world. And so our natural inclination is to have doubt. It's going to happen. It's okay to have doubt. It's just not okay to stay there. It's okay if you're treading the water right now. It's just not okay to stay there. And so I believe a Christian is going to go back and forth in different seasons of life, depending on your circumstances. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're treading water. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're clinging to the side. And sometimes you're going to feel like you're safe in the arms of God in the boat. What about the dad in this story? Where do you think he was? I think he was treading water. The dad brought his need to the Lord even though he had his doubts. He confessed his unbelief. That's what we've got to do. If you're in a situation right now and you feel like you're treading water, so to speak, the first thing to do is to confess that that's exactly how you feel to the Lord. I love that this dad, not knowing where to turn, Weary after all these years of watching his son suffer, he doesn't run further from the Lord, even though he has unbelief. He comes to the Lord. Look what he says in Mark 9, 24. He says, I believe, Jesus, I do believe, but please help my unbelief. There will be seasons where we go back and forth between the boat and the water, but maybe that is exactly when we need to just be honest with God and say, Lord, I believe in your goodness. I believe in your power. I believe in your love, but I am seriously struggling with this. Please help me overcome my unbelief. Confess your doubt. Secondly, when faced with a tragedy too great to bear, Walk closely with the Lord. Walk with him very intentionally. So confess your doubt. Bring your doubt to the Lord. He already knows you're doubting, so be honest about it. But then secondly, walk closely with him. Look at this. Mark 
9, verse 28 and 29. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. See, as already mentioned, the disciples tried to take this matter into their own hands without truly seeking the Lord. And so Jesus reminds them of the importance of seeking him when faced with any situation, especially of this magnitude. And so I think what we have to remind ourselves is the importance of intimate communion with God. You see, if you're not walking closely with the Lord intentionally, and what I say, let me define that, right? If, if you're not coming to the Lord in prayer on a regular basis, if you're not seeking wisdom from his word, which is the source of all wisdom on a regular basis, if you're not communing with fellow Christians who can hold you up and carry you through the storms of life on a regular, consistent basis, if you are not spending quality time with God and seeking to walk closely with him, then of course you're going to have unbelief and doubt scattered all around your life. Of course you are, because you're operating outside of the one who's in charge of all reality. And so the fears and anxieties that are driving you and controlling you are in this, um, in many ways, an imaginative world that we create in our minds where everything goes wrong and where trust is not even available or an option. But when we're seeking the Lord closely, even when we don't feel like it, if we discipline ourselves to be honest about our doubt, come to him in a prayerful life, as Jesus says, it's amazing the faith that he will give us to get through our circumstances. Thirdly, not only do you confess your doubt, not only do you seek to walk closely with the Lord, but trust in what you know is true about God. Trust in what you know is true about God. You see, with so many doubts flooding our minds during the difficult days of life, and they will, Jesus called Satan himself the father of lies, and he absolutely is. Because one thing that Satan wants you to believe is that when tragedy comes your way, that, oh, hey, God's not in control, Look, he doesn't even love you. He has nothing good for you here. And this, there's no good would ever come out of this, right? These are just lies that Satan will throw at you, and many of us do believe it. And so what must we do when those lies and those doubts are flooding our minds? We must train our minds to keep coming back to what we know is true. to keep rehearsing in our heads the truth that we have banked our lives on, ultimately that God has already proven to us that he is trustworthy. He's already proven that he's trustworthy to you. The Christian author Jerry Bridges says in his book, Trusting God, he says there's three truths about God that make him trustworthy. So write this down if you're taking notes in your journals. This is so good. Three truths that, that, that we know, that help us know that God is trustworthy. Number one, God is completely sovereign. He's completely sovereign, so he has infinite control over all things, right? Number two, he's infinite in wisdom. 
And number three, he's perfect in love. God is completely sovereign, he's infinite in wisdom, and he's perfect in love. And so Bridges notes that if God, just think about this, if God was lacking even one of those truths, then he would not be trustworthy, right? Imagine if God was all-powerful, sovereign, and loving, okay, so he had the power and he had the concern, but he wasn't wise. Well, then he wouldn't know what to do, even though he would have the power to do it to help you in your situation. Or imagine if God was all wise and he knew the right thing to do and he was all loving and he really cared about you, but he wasn't all powerful and so he wasn't able to do and to carry out his desires. But because he is trustworthy, because he is completely sovereign, infinite in wisdom, and perfect in his love, those three things combined means that Romans 8.28 is a great promise for us in times of tragedy. Look at this. Paul says, and we know that for those who love God, all things, not just some things, Every little situation in your life, the ones where you have unbelief and the ones where you have belief, the ones where you're treading water, the ones where you're clinging to the side of the boat, the ones where you're in the boat, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And that's good. And so think about this story completely sovereign, infinitely wise, perfect in love, Savior, Jesus Christ, has the power to cast out the evil forces and give this boy a new life. He has the compassion and love needed to do so and the wisdom to handle the situation perfectly for everyone involved. And regardless of the outcome in this temporary world, that is true for you today as well. In his infinite power, wisdom, and love, Jesus has provided new life for you already. This is why we can trust him with any other situation. He's already taken care of the greatest problem we'll ever have. You see, look at this story a little closer. Even in his doubt, even in his doubt, the father of the boy drew near to Jesus to find grace in his time of need. And that's exactly what we must do. And that's exactly what we can do because of Jesus giving us access to God. You see, the father in this story watched his son suffer because of the evil in this world. And the son was described as being like a corpse. He is dead, they said. But he was raised to a new life. Now you tell me, does that sound familiar? God the Father watched Jesus, his son, suffer because of the evil in this world. And Jesus really did die because of it. But he was also raised to new life. Which is exactly why we can approach God the Father today in the middle of our tragedies and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Our sin has separated us from God, but look what Jesus did. He's already taken care 
of what could have been your greatest tragedy, spending eternity without God. Jesus stood in our place. He died in your place on the cross for your sin. That should have been you. That should have been me. So that that infinite gulf between you and God could be closed. So that you can have a relationship forever with God by faith, by belief. Not in what you can do, not in how you can handle a situation, not in how tough you can be. But in how good he's already been. So now look at, look at what privilege you have. Look at the access you have now. Look at this, Hebrews 4, 16. This is what we can do now. When life throws you a curveball and you don't know where to turn, what do you do? You just rehearse truth in your head. And here's one great one. Hebrews 4, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Even if you're doubting, say, Lord, I don't understand. I have all these doubts in my head, but Jesus, I am drawing near to your throne. Would you give me grace in this time of great need in my life? You see, the question is not, can Jesus do this, right? The father with his doubt said, if you can. And Jesus said, if you can. The question is, why am I trying to do this without him? That's the real question. You know, in Matthew's account of this same story, he adds something else that Jesus said when the disciples asked why they couldn't cast it out. In Matthew 17, 20, look at this. He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. But what does Jesus mean here? This isn't some kind of like rub the genie's lamp and you get three wishes no matter what. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if you have the faith, the small faith even, even with the doubts in your heart, if you bring them to the Lord with a little bit of faith, just trusting that it's not you and it's all him that's going to have to handle this situation. If you come to him with that mentality, Jesus says he will carry you through it. You may not get, you may not receive in this life the answer to your prayer that you thought you needed, but I promise you that you will receive what you actually need for eternity. You will. Danny Aiken Christian author says the key is not the depth of our faith, but the direction of our faith. The key is not the depth of your faith, but who is your faith in? That's the question. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. He said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In other words, it's God's power resting on me through his goodness and his faithfulness. You see, the certainty of the resurrection life should cure our unbelief now and as we look to our eternal future. So a prayerful life is expressing trust and dependency on the one who raises the dead to new life. If he can, 
do that. And yes, he can do it. There is nothing he can't do. And though we may never understand why some of our prayers aren't answered the way we think they should be, we can have full assurance that one day everything sad in this world will become untrue. Every single problem that causes all the doubt and unbelief in your heart will be cured because the one who took the penalty of sin has the right to give you eternal life. The one who created this world will restore it completely and fully to its proper form and function as it was designed to be. See, as the father's unbelief melted away, when Jesus took the boy's hand, can you imagine? Can you imagine that dad, after years of what he had gone through, watching his son, Jesus takes his hand and he arose. The father's unbelief in that moment melts away completely. And when we look to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means for us for eternity, and our unbelief should melt away every time we look to what Christ has done. When we remember the gospel, when we reflect and meditate on what Christ has already secured for us, the belief, the unbelief in our hearts is crowded out by faith, by remembering, by coming back to that truth. Confess your doubt. Walk closely with the Lord and keep coming back to that truth, what you know is true. As many of you know, Christy and I, we lost our first daughter to leukemia. She was 17 months old when she passed. And I can tell you this, there have been moments where I've been in the boat there have been moments where I've clung to the side and there for sure have been moments where we have been in the water treading. But I can tell you this, that in spite of my unfaithfulness and my doubt, God has been faithful. And he's not doubting. But coming back to truth Coming back to truth has been the one thing that has kept me and Christy going. Remembering the gospel and that how temporary this world is, it's so short. All of our lives, no matter how long we live, are so short, just a blip on the radar of eternity. And the suffering of this world is so temporary, it's painful. And I don't want to minimize that. Trust me, I know it. But it's temporary. And it leads to eternal glory because of the pain Jesus took on himself. The gospel is our motivation. The gospel is your fuel. The gospel is your strength. Jesus is your strength. And so where are you treading water today? Where are you having a hard time confessing your doubt? Maybe you're the tough guy and you're not supposed to be doubting. You're not supposed to have unbelief in your heart 
And so you have to put on this persona that everybody thinks you're fine. You got it, man. I can handle this. Some of you just need to lay down your pride and express your true doubt. Where are you treading water today? Maybe you've received disturbing news in your life. Maybe it's a physical problem. Maybe it's a relational problem. Some of you are hanging on to the side of the boat simply because you neglect to spend quality time with the Lord during your busy week, and you could be in the boat. Some of you have unbelief, though, in different areas of your life because you simply don't come back to the gospel every day, to the truth that you know, and you're just listening to the doubts. You're listening to the lies. But like the Apostle Paul reminds us, Christ does his best work in your weakness. Be grateful for that. We all have that gap between what God knows and what we know. There's going to be doubt. But when we come back to the one who without a shadow of a doubt is consistently, constantly, eternal, faithful to you, you can have hope, you can have belief. May we come before the Lord and say, Lord, I believe. Help me overcome the areas of my life where I have unbelief. So I want to pray with you now and just ask you to start there. Just start simply there. Confess your doubt to the Lord. Wherever you're treading water right now, whatever keeps you up at night, wherever you are concerned, wherever you are weary and tired, the Lord knows. He's been there. So bring that doubt and unbelief to him. Just confess it. Would you do that now?